And now it's time for Alumni Radio Radio Perkins. Well, hello, everyone. It's another Monday night, and it is indeed time for the Alumni Radio Program with yours truly, Al Gasper, and Dave Beharian. And a special guest who I believe is calling right now. So we'll pick it up. And hello, you're on Radio Perkins. Hi, Al and Dave. It's Steve. Ah, this is, in fact, our guest. And tonight, it is Stephen Theberg, someone who you hear just about every week. You <coughs> give us a call and comment on whatever the topic may be. But tonight, you're the guest. And what we asked you to come on for is to talk a little bit about the book that you have written and what it's about and how you, you know, got to get started on it and so forth. Okay, the um, book started, well, years ago. I, I was always a science fiction person, and... Um, at one point, I said, I want to do an autobiography of being at Perkins. So what happened is, is basically the story is three in one. It is fiction. It is definitely science fiction. But a lot of people that have read it that don't have never read or don't care for science fiction really said they loved how it was written. So basically what it is is there's three characters. There's one character who's seeing a psychiatrist because he claims he talks to aliens. And then, of course, there are the two alien races that are kind of like our solar system with ten planets. One is like Mars and Earth, so they discover each other early and have an alliance to observe Earth since um, the Egyptian times. But the bulk of the story is, although I don't mention Perkins, but I used my experiences and stuff to, to really talk about a lot of stuff that happened at Perkins, good and bad. So... Some people have said that it's really a good book for teaching people that aren't visual impaired about visual impairment, and, you know, of course, it's back in those days. So the three plots unfold, and the aliens work on their problems, and that, that's it in a summary. What, what is the name of the book? It's called The Metri Message. That's M-E-T-S-C-H-E. And my um, editor came up with that because it, there's two alien races, Metans and Shenans, and they have an alliance to observe the Earth and other planets, so they combine the names to form their alliance. So it is kind of a unique title, but... And where can one get it? it it's on Amazon. I have a website. It can... Cobalt, you can also get hard copies. It is on Bookshare. I'm waiting for it to get on Bard. Oh, Wow. So it is getting uh, some widespread. Uh, I, I think when I talked to you last year, uh, it did just actually this is the anniversary. It had it just came out exactly a year ago, so it's right. kind of timely that you have me on. Right. See how smart we are. Are yeah. you are you doing? Is it doing well in in sales? Uh, um, actually, not. Part of that is because. There's over a million independent authors' books being published every year. And the reality is you really do have to have a big advertising budget. I have put a little into advertising, which seems it's gotten me a lot of Twitter Twitter followers, but they haven't translated into sales yet. But you just have to be persistent and I'm trying to find creative ways to stand out. Now, do you have any other uh, plans to write? More or? Yeah, actually, because people said write a sequel. And actually, the book goes to a point in time, you know, if you're looking at the parts that were based on stuff in my life about 08 or 09, so I could redo that. And I'm thinking of different ideas for that, like, because some people said I want more of the aliens. And so I'm, I'm rethinking I've started, right? I got about 12 pages, but I had a great editing team. And, and cover designers, so that they got me online and all that, and I'm glad it's on Bookshare at least. Oh, so that means it's uh, an there's an audible audio version, right? 
Well, that's you know that's that's really kind of interesting. Have you always had a desire to to write, or is this something? To... Oh yeah, I, I used to love writing essays when I was a kid, and, and like I said, I oh, I don't know if I said it, but I wrote a sci-fi story at Perkins, you know, child story about an alien race, and in college I wrote about another alien race. So that's when I combined them in this book, and, and said, well, let's do something totally out of the box instead of just an autobiography or straight sci-fi. So it had, you can read it at different levels. Uh-huh. Where did you go to college? I went to Rhode Island College in 82 to 87. Um, that was an interesting story because, um, you know, Perkins was great academically, and it's just the times we were in, they really didn't prepare, you know, because having this some site, I didn't really realize my limitations when I was put in college, and my advisor was like, why don't you... Um, switch majors. He didn't want to teach me the classes. I said, take it another time, but I didn't. And I got really angry, of course, and I channeled it. I said, yeah, I'll get a creative writing, analytical writing degree as well. That's why I went five years. Uh-huh. And you did get that degree. Yep. Is this your, is this your first publication? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, so what have you been doing since college? Well, I, I was programming for a while. Um, that was back in the 80s, and up until the 2000s, I tried to develop a screen reader. Of course, I'm glad JAWS and all them are as bad as problems we have. We're getting so much more accessibility we couldn't even dream of. When I went to school, it had punch cards. We didn't have like much internet, if any. And and about 10 years ago, my site really fluctuated. It's gotten worse. It can be 2250, it can be 2500, it can be counting fingers. So in 2014, I went to the Carroll Center for the Rehab and Tech Program, and they kind of got me back, my confidence back. And I did the project search and was at Cambridge Health Alliance, where I think I got a lot of networking for the job I do at the MBTA. And is that what you do currently as a day job? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a um, tester. I've been doing that a year and a half, so what we do is they, I had the interview, it was the longest interview in my life, I think it was like an hour and a half, but they wanted to make sure I had good mobility, um, was able to think on my feet and, you know, problem solve, and they pair, they pair everyone up, Every, everyone's a tester, has some kind of disability, and the observers basically have to have good sight because they have to know the um, badge number and the bus driver ID. But but they're not responsible for my mobility or getting me around. We just they assign us like a lot of routes, and we have to do all the issues. You know, they give you a two-hour training of how your job's going to work, what kind of issues, ADA issues about transportation. And I really enjoy. I've never enjoyed working so much because I get to um, sharpen my mobility skills and get paid and help with the. Um, accessibility issues. I don't do anything with the ride. It's all just trains, buses, subways, and stuff like that. So it, it would get you up in this area from time to time? To yeah, I'm always coming to South Station. Um, it's primarily, well, I've been as far, I've, I've taken buses to um, Canton, and then we go back. And, but it's really strange how they the routes don't make sense because no normal person would do it, but they just want to test out the system. So you could be anywhere from the airport to Harvard Square in like four to, four to six hours hmm. on a shift. So how many – is this a full-time job with you, Steve, or is this a uh... – No, it's part-time because they only have um, three observers. They're trying to get more. They said they haven't had much luck, so they could hire more people or put us on – I've had 12-hour weeks, um, but actually right now it's a good thing because it gives me time to work on my book, marketing, and writing. So I, I'm, it's a good balance for me at this point. Steve, uh, I was wondering, uh, have you always had an interest in, in aliens? Oh, yeah. When I was, my, my, it's just kind of funny. My because I'm an amateur ufologist, I, I don't know if you know that. I, I'm, what, I'm, what's that? I'm an amateur ufologist myself. Oh, really? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, wow. So I'm curious uh, well, how far back this goes for you. Um, aliens in my book figured that they were too smart to be discovered. So, but anyway, I used to love those. Yeah, when I was a kid, my mother thought I was too young to watch Star Trek, and um, I was like 13, and 
she'd say, I'm going to the neighbor's house for coffee, and I figured out she'll be there two hours. And I started watching Star Trek, and then she just didn't <laughs> think it was a big issue, I guess. And that's what got me started. Doesn't that stunt your growth, watching Star Trek? I don't know. I'm six six. <laughs> yeah, Dave. I'm six one. So I, I think I don't think so. Now, do you, do you do that science fiction thing here on Radio Perkins? Is, are you one of the guys? No. No, I'm talking to our engineer. I didn't here. know there was a science fiction thing on Radio Perkins. So no, I'm not. Oh, there used to be some fantasy thing they used to oh, do. Really? Yeah. So uh, do you? Are you influenced by any particular science fiction or uh, fantasy tradition, Steve? Oh. Uh, all the old Isaac Asimov, Robert Heinlein, all the what you call the classic sci-fi writers, Philip K. Dick. Um, I could go on, but I would Ray say Bradbury. Well, yeah, Ray Bradbury definitely. Uh, mm-hmm. There's not like one particular one, but I like Heinlein's writing because he's kind of writes just regular. You know, Asimov's good, but he's definitely more, you know, hard sci-fi. Yeah, I like it, but. I wanted to write more of a down-to-earth, like, you know, more people could reach it, because, you know, rather than talk about, you know, straight sci-fi. Sure. And then, so, how how did you incorporate your experiences here into that interest? You know, like, how, how did you find a way to blend those things? Uh, I just read a lot of different books, and not just sci-fi, different classics and modern stuff, so I was like, I... I think I think the main thing in writing is having that human element. So how are you going to put these stories together? Because I even humanize the aliens. I give them a lot of, you know, they have some issues that they want, because they're supposed to be 50,000 years ahead of us. So they, they had issues with, you know, wars and stuff. That There's a lot of themes about that in the book, like how they overcame, well, their prejudices and problems they had. So it kind of, par- there's a lot of parallel differences. And then, of course, the Perkins element as well. So, Certainly. Well, Perkins is kind of like, when I think of Perkins, I think of Hogwarts. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting, yeah. You, you could think of it that way. And, and but, just so you may know, uh, Steve, the third member here who is... is uh, He's I an guess alien. probably the most knowledgeable of, of the three of us is Chris Corey, who is the right. uh, engineer here. Do a good job. Oh, thanks. Uh, well, it's not all me, but uh, yeah, no, these guys needed me tonight, so uh, here I am. As it turns out, you're, it sounds like we have some of the same interests. Um, so then, in terms of... Um, do you... Do you have an interest in these sort of real-world uh, space encounters, or do you take it purely from a science fiction? Uh... Yeah, I, I would kind of... I don't know if humanity could really deal with aliens. Because I mentioned that in the book, like if the aliens really just would, you know, it would kind of freak us out. So it, it, it's, yeah, definitely a fantasy sci-fi thing. It, it's, I don't think we're alone, but, you know, considering all that stuff, all the stars and galaxies out there, mm-hmm. but it's amazing to me that speaking of UFOs, it's it's like I thought it seemed to me there were more UFO sightings in the, in the 70s, and now with all the iPhones, they seem to have disappeared. Well, I mean, I'm sure there are some, but that's something that a lot of people talk about. Um, and there, you know, 1973 was a peak year, so uh, you saying the 70s. I think there there was also a certain amount of legitimacy lent to it uh, by the type of scientists that were studying it and uh, yeah. the interest of, you know, Jimmy Carter and, um, you know, also people like Steven Spielberg working with uh, yeah. Alan Hynek uh, to make Close Encounters. Right. Um, so, you know, it was seen in a different light at that time. Um, but also that's when they were developing a lot of unmanned aerial aircraft for the first time. And yep. so a lot of those things can now be explained as, you know, what we know as drones. I was just going to say, yeah, <laughs> they're all drones, yep. Uh, you but know, it, and it's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, we always thought, some of us thought at that time anyway, that it was something that we were doing and uh, it was just not the kind of thing that the government was about ready to acknowledge as being 
something that was happening in, in this country. But yeah, it, it's, I think of Area 51 and all that. I just don't think our government is efficient enough to hide. They can't hide, they can't hide their emails. They're going to hide aliens. <laughs> well, some people would say that uh, a lot of that is maybe by design meant to mislead people. Um, yeah. You know, uh, there's documented cases where uh, government uh, officials used... Uh, sort of alien technology as a cover-up for what were really spy planes that they were working yeah, on. That makes sense. You know, it, because who's going to believe you if you tell somebody you saw a spaceship? So right. uh, somebody a photographs a spy plane yeah. and the, they bring it to the FBI and the FBI says, oh, it's an alien. You know, yeah, don't tell yeah. anybody, though. And Propaganda. what that means yeah. is, you know, then nobody takes an interest. And mm-hmm. so, you know, then the spy plane remains classified. Right. Is it Roswell, New Mexico, where you can't go? Yeah, you can go to Ro- Roswell's a city, uh, but there is a the Area Fifty One mm-hmm. is a is a military is a very real military base that yep. is, uh, you know, I think one hundred fifty miles from Roswell, and um, you can't go there. <laughs> That's right. a classified military base, and you'll be shot. Uh, some people have tried, and they get uh, you know you get arrested. Yeah, but um, if you step if you step on on site there, uh, you know, you can be shot by the U.S. military, so it's not recommended. Right. But that they had that movie with Betty and Barney Hill, I don't remember the name, UFO. Ah, Betty and that Barney from New Hampshire. Very, I don't know if that's fiction, but it, it sounded so legitimate. And being a kid, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, so they were one of the first uh, to talk about any kind of uh, contact um, in uh, with abductions. Um, yeah, no, I don't and that and there, she yep. Barney was played by James Earl Jones in that film. Yeah, uh, you know, so a very legitimate actor, and it was given it was treated very seriously in the movie. It's it's kind of a dull movie uh, if you go back and watch it now. Yeah, it is, but it, it's just like how at the end they found the coordinates for the stars and right. Now, did they explain that as fiction or documentary? That's why I don't because I well, the, don't remember. So the film was you know a dramatization. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. But uh, you know Betty. Betty Hill was interviewed many times uh, before her death and, um, you know, Barney Hill, you know, they were examined by psychiatrists and they talked to a lot of different people. And, um, you know, the conclusion was really that, that we don't know, we don't really know what happened, but it, um, it, it didn't seem like a hoax, you know, they never, there was no effort really made by them to try and profit from it. Uh, you know, eventually people came to them and said, well, we can make this movie about you, but they actually didn't tell anybody for, uh, something like 10 years. I think the incident happened in the early sixties and they didn't, uh, see a doctor or seek any help about it until the early seventies. But one of the characters in my book has kind of like arguments with the psychiatrists, like they go round and round. It's like you, you think I'm delusional because I believe in aliens, but if I believe in the Virgin Mary appeared to me, you might think differently. Right. So it's, there's kind of some of that in the book, but it's not as... So you touch on all of those issues. Now, I worked with a guy who claimed he was abducted. Well, you know, it's a common. It's more common than you think, and there's a lot of people that uh, choose not to uh, disclose that for fear of embarrassment, you know? Yeah, because they'll think you're crazy. Um, How do you prove you were or you weren't? You know, it's. But in my book, the aliens are a little more sophisticated because if they have fifty thousand, they don't have to abduct people. They can come to Earth as in human form. Sure. Observe us. Takes takes skin samples, and there is a tele, there is a telekinetic. One of the races are telekinetic, and another race are kind of like, well, I call them shapeshifters, but I really explain it scientifically. How they can change their form? Yeah. So, I mean, so those are uh, things that come up a lot, um, both in purported factual encounters and in science fiction. So, you know, very common tropes, uh, which makes sense. Yeah. And you're listening to the alumni program, and this week we are having on a little farther out than usual, right? Stephen Thieber. Yeah, way out. Right. (laughs) But yeah, some very interesting stuff. I would say, Dave. Um, I think I'm going to have to read the book. 
Yeah, tell us the the title of the book again for anybody that missed it, Steve. Right. The, T-H-E, in the middle word is M-E-T-S-C-H-E, Metsha or Metsi, Message. Published by? Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, T-H-E-B-E-R-G-E. I have a website. If you Google my name, I think you get my um, book links, or I could give the um, website if you want. Yeah, sure, what's the that's website? fine. All right, it's www.dvorkin, that's spelled D-V-O-R-K-I-N, dot C-O-M, forward slash, and it's my whole name, first and last name, no spaces, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-T-H-E-B-E-R-G-E. And that links you up to, I don't know if the Books Here link is in there yet, or or not, but I have interviews. I was at the Indie Author Day at the library. I'm, I have that on there. My first author interview on Branko Broadcast. Um, and, of course, all the links to the different buying sites to create space for the hard copy. And I guess Smashwords has a lot of accessible. You can get it as a text file or there's different EPUB formats. So a lot of them are accessible with, you know, um, text-to-speech. And like I said, I'm waiting for Bard. That might take a while, though. Now, will you know when it's on Bard? Yeah, I'm sure they'll call they'll me. Um, probably say, how do you pronounce this? And I don't have too many things that are hard to pronounce, but there's a few things in the book they'll probably want to clarify, like how do you say that? And now, you say this is audio, on audio, and who who is reading it? Is it someone from here? It, the the, the Bookshares, they convert it to an MP3 in different formats, so it's not a person reading it. Uh-huh. And some people, I had talked to someone yesterday in one of the blind um, Facebook groups and said, I, I don't like that. I said, well, you have to wait for some bar then. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, you're, it's been, uh, how long did it take you to write the book? Um, it was over probably seven or eight years, but I compressed all that time. You know, for, as a nine-to-five job, it probably would have been like two and a half, three years. Right. Which is about average for most people, I guess. Well, unless you're Stephen King and you do 200 books <laughs> or more. I don't know how they... Or Isaac Asimov's done history, sci-fi, hundreds and hundreds of books. I can't... I end with that. Asimov had like a system for how he wrote his books, right? I, I, I believe it was almost... You know, it would be like, uh, you know, a one-man assembly line. He had, He had a a very clear-cut system on how he put those books together. Yeah, yeah. So what what made you want to combine, you know, your own personal story with the the science fiction elements? Well, I I was thinking, okay, I can release these two short stories and fix them up. And like I said, my story at Perkins probably would have been okay, but it's like there are a lot of autobiographies about people that went to blind schools and, I just wanted something with a little more spice to it that would appeal to more people because I don't, you know, you have a limited audience if you say, you know, I went to Perkins. I mean, some people would be interested um, in that, but this just kind of naturally flows. It's just you don't even find out the character is, I mean, you know they're at a residential school, but you don't really find out until not early, kind of on in the book that we're blind and, you know, stuff like that. So it's not a main thrust like this is a book for the blind about blindness although it is in some point you know some of the characters are blind but i capture the wanted to capture the human element and extend that to aliens like are they would they be would they have human faults would they so that's kind of like a like who who are the aliens who are the you know i discuss a lot of stuff like bullying and you know it's in different aspects humanity and empathy so this like i said there's a lot of different levels it could be read at um, isn't wasn't there something about blind aliens they wrote about a while back? That's I've never heard of that. I'm not but they probably had other abilities because it's it's kind of reminds me of um, oh who's that Daredevil? Oh yeah, he's a blind character, but he has so many extra senses it doesn't really seem to matter anyway. It kind of makes the blind like superhero like they have super hearing or. You know, that myth, it, I mean, I like Daredevil to a point, but it was like, you kind of, or like the Star Trek with the Medusan ambassador, she she was blind, but she had a sensor web, and she could tell how fast your heart was beating, so it, it was like that myth of blind people have 
extreme senses of great hearing. Right. They can hear better because they, they're yeah. visually limited. And people so, say, don't you hear better? I said, no, I just learned how to listen. Because when I could see better, I didn't think of using my hearing, but I do now when I cross streets. I take it from your statements you might have been a comic book reader? No, actually, I never really got into the comic books. I just watched the Daredevil. I, I guess it just was the timing. I was at the Carroll Center. I said, oh, a blind, a blind guy. Oh, oh. I'll read that. But it wasn't realistic humanly. You know, it was great as if you like that kind of stuff. But it of was, course. to me, it was like, well, you're making that, perpetuating the myth that blind people have super senses. And that is a questionable element of it. I agree. And it, and it, it was like the Chuck Norris kind of. You know, he he would kick butt and all that, and it was okay. I mean, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't, you know, to me. Right. I'm sure some people love it, but. I think it's interesting that it's kind of off on a sidetrack, but the kids here now watch uh, movies. And when I was in school, which was a long time ago, we never did. Really? Yeah. That's true. They do. They they take part in a you know a fair amount of uh, films and uh, occasionally go out to the movies and things like that. Yeah, we, we, we never did any of that. And... So what did you do instead, Dave? I don't know. <laughs> well, my dad used to take me to movies, but other than that, no, we didn't. Do, we had movies at the North Building. They were, we had some entertainment movies, but they had a lot of science stuff. It was great. Hmm. When the North Building first came out, they'd have Monday nights. They'd have movies, and they had they had some good old movies. But and then the, I guess for classes, we'd watch about volcanoes and stuff, and. So the science, is, you know, when you're a kid, it's like, well, you have to learn about science to write science fiction, I think. I mean, unless it's total fantasy. Sure. And we, the blind kids didn't even watch much television, as far as I could tell. Well, yeah, in those days, we were so... You'd wait a week for a show to come out, and now you can watch something on Netflix for 24 hours and not finish the series. Right. Well, the landscape has certainly changed. There's no oh, doubt yeah. about yep. that. Yeah, when Al was here, they didn't have television. <laughs> Do they have electricity, Al? Well, when I was here... <laughs> I'm only to, teasing. Uh, no, but you're partially right. Um, there was television, but it didn't come into Boston until 48. And, oh, yeah. uh, you must like old-time radio, then. I did. Yeah, I, I, do. I love it. I, I'm not familiar with it, but every all a lot of old radio I've heard because that was for everyone. Because you know, you had to have the imagination and the music score going on and the suspense, and so it didn't matter if you were blind or sighted; you could all enjoy it. And there was a lot of, uh, I think, Ray Bradbury, for example. A lot of his stuff was was done on the radio. Uh, a right. lot of science fiction. Yeah. And I, I remember his name sticking out in my mind. Uh, a lot of the stuff that uh, John Sanders plays. Yes. Uh, is from that era. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, of course, having grown up and sat there in the living room listening to a radio, which, you know, it, it seems strange when you think about it now, mm. back in those days when a family would just be sitting all around in the living room listening to this Radio and and now today you know you have the pictures and it's, yeah. it's hard to imagine almost unless you went through it. Yeah, that's true. So and I think people read a lot too. Well, they yeah. did. They did. I heard a rumor that people are requesting a lot of books from Bard, and that's why it's been going down. It's not good that it's going down, but if that's true that a lot of people want to read, that's got to be a good thing. It is. And uh, it bad was up as of last night. I don't yeah, I heard. know whether that's continues yeah. to be the case today, but it was last night. But you're right, and the selection is just you know incredible. I mean, there's yeah. thousands and thousands of books that people can uh, download very very simply. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, I'm glad they're putting out the old books. The classics, if you want to call them, some of them are, but just the oldest stuff too. And another thing I've noticed is a lot of people, you know, they do read the Kindle books and all, but I, I can't see very well. But I've noticed a lot of people on the trains and stuff have physical books. 
I don't oh. know all the numbers, but I've seen a lot of that. So it's kind of encouraging. It is because uh, I, I remember locally here in Watertown when they built the new library and uh, one of my friends commented, well, why are they expanding it and building this new library? Because nobody's going to be reading books, but they are still reading books. And yeah. there's certainly a lot out there to to be gained by that, that's for sure. Yeah, people like to have the feeling of the hard copy book in their hand. Yeah. And even even newspapers, as much as you can read it online, people like to have the physical newspaper. Yeah, I saw I saw people in newspapers today. As a matter of fact, on the train, it was like well, at least one person. So it's like it's not all. You know, people say how bad technology is, but people want a break. I think sometimes it's like you know, go back to the listen right. to an album or listen to the radio or. That's and with internet true. radio, I think I think it's great because you can get stations from all over the world, which we never had, unless even with shortwave and stuff. Right, right. You can get them as clear as can be. Yeah. Know, with, yeah. Uh, and if if you have a new generation Victor Reader stream, it's you can just yeah. plug in any station from anywhere. Yeah. Well, I have the uh, Amazon Echo. I I love it because I I can just say. Oh, you do have the Echo. Oh yeah, yeah. I love it. It's like especially for music. Sometimes she doesn't understand the has a lot of trouble understanding. But it's like with the music, it's pretty good. I mean, I can play unlimited because I have the music unlimited. Mm-hmm. And. She doesn't have everything, but I would say 99.9. Someone say, can you, people call, sometimes I'm on the phone, I say, oh, can you play this song, play that song? And I'll think of a tune, and if I can figure out the name, it's like, I love it. Yeah, I was telling David earlier tonight that uh, the other day I had to take care of some business, and so I was away for a couple of hours, and... Susan, we have the dot. We don't have the echo yeah. yet, but we have the dot. And she likes Barbara Streisand, so she yep. just said, play Barbara Streisand. Well, at 5.30, we're still listening to Barbara Streisand. <laughs> it just is incredible, you know, yeah. if, you, yeah. if you want. Uh, now, some things that she won't she won't mm. pick up, or she'll say, I, I yeah. can't play it. And then she'll say, but here's a sample. Yeah. yeah, but some of them you do have to buy because of the copyrights. Cause right. It's like, right. But overall, you get pretty much everything. Of course, if you really want that one that's a sample, I guess you'll have to break down and buy it, which I, I don't usually do that. No, no. But that's... what are they, 95 cents or something like that? Yeah, they can vary. Sometimes they're $1.29 or 89 cents, I heard once. But it's like, oh, okay. But I don't see that very often. Well, Chris, we're going to yeah. take advantage of your knowledge here. Do you have any other questions that you might want to hmm. ask Stephen? Uh, this is unexpected. We didn't know Chris was uh, had as much knowledge about this kind of thing. Uh, well, Stephen, um, I'm curious if there... Uh, well, one thing I'm curious about is if there's any uh, science fiction that you're following currently um, or factual science stories that you're following currently uh, that, that you're interested in, just to get an idea of where your head's at? Well, I just gave um, Philip K. Dick the Minority Report a read, and I was, you know, very sci-fi, but I was just amazed how his almost prophetic, the issues he talked about are, make sense today, and there's so many, even sci-fi, it's like people say I'm, I love sci-fi, but there's so many old writers I don't even know, you know, classics, but you know, there's just so many, so many books out there. It's like, I never had time to read all these. Well, of course. But I, I, I like to keep up on science, you know, like Discover Magazine and different, you know, just to keep, you know, in the technology, of course, I think I've always loved technology. I mean, because in those days, that's when computers were really starting to, you know, I had the first desktop computers when they first came out, and it was an exciting time. We couldn't even imagine, didn't. 87 the internet was going to be like this i remember uh i mean i was very young in 1987 but i remember fantasizing one day i would have a computer in my pocket and it's a little bit uh shocking to believe that you know yeah that, that you actually do now i mean they call it a phone but yeah it's but almost, it really, really is i mean pretty pretty much but yeah, you were asking al if they had electricity when he was in school <laughs> i was only teasing <laughs> i know that but 
I was in school in 1965 when they had the big blackout. Mm-hmm. Perkins at that time generated its own electricity. Yeah. Yeah. We had electricity and no one else did. Uh. And they said that as if you drove by the school, you could see all the um, the lights were lit up. Uh, yeah. And everything else was in I, darkness. I heard that, yeah. Did um did tell us again what years uh you were a student here, Steve? Nineteen sixty eight through eighty two. Okay. So we did have the generators. We had a few I, I was very young in the blackout, so I don't I was only two, but I heard that was quite a story. Well, so you were a student from infancy then? No, from K K to twelve. So I was five when I started Perkins. Okay, okay. But I stopped counting at 39, so we don't have to figure out my age. <laughs> <laughs> Although, that's funny. Speaking of age, I went to the Dunkin' Donuts today, and they said, we gave, we gave you the senior discount. Although, <laughs> technically, I'm only 54, so I'm not really a senior, but I'll take the discount anyway. Yeah. That does happen. Yeah, Dunkin' Donuts was always good at giving away yeah. the discount. Yeah. Yep, they did. Uh, that's I one think. of those perks. I'm not there yet, guys. One no. day. No, you're not. One day. I, I remember when I was at that age and uh, going in there, and they're offering the discount. And I'm thinking, what's this? <laughs> you know, and I still had dark hair and and uh, didn't look the part, I didn't think. But I guess... Well, I have a little gray, I'm told, so I guess it's starting to catch up with me. <laughs> well, that's all right. Distinguish, yeah. as they used to say. I, I saw your middle name someplace, so I assume you're French-Canadian? Uh, my mother is a French-Canadian. She's a resident alien. My father's parents were fr- French-Canadian descent. Um, my name middle name is Andrew, but it, Andre would be in French with the uh, accent and all that. And that's why you write it with Henri. Yeah, I, I figured it would stand out that way. Um, I just did that recently. but It, it caught my attention. It, well, the reason I did it was because I found on the Jaws you can do the you know, accents and all that. And I said, let's try my name. And it was like, it's pronouncing it the way you would pronounce it in French. Mm-hmm. Ah. Which was André Tabers. Do you know, are you, can you speak French? Uh, I'm not very good. I understand it better than I can speak it. Unfortunately, you know, my mother speaks French, but she learned English because my father said when they get married, you, you might want to learn English. Right, right. <laughs> And they did. I remember in Maine when I was a kid, they used to have bilingual French and English signs, but they didn't keep it like as much as long as like we we have the Spanish now. As it wasn't, I guess there's not as many French people. Yeah, I imagine that would be what from people coming from Quebec, huh? Yeah, definitely. And so they certainly there's a lot don't of people in Maine in that area would be, Maine, you know, right? even if you, in the summertime, if you go up and old orchard at oh, one yeah. time. It was the uh, bilingual signs. Uh, you still have a lot of Canadians coming down, but I don't think it's quite what it used to be. No, I don't think. Not, I, I know in Vermont we got a lot of um, Canadian money. Oh yeah, yeah. Hmm. Which, well, which our vending machines did not like. No. <laughs> well, is there anything uh, just in? That you might want to add about your your work, the tea, the uh, working with the tea that you haven't, that we didn't get to, or you haven't. Said. Well, I, what I like is it's always different. You never know what to expect. You know, you never know if the. Um, it's just interesting to. I I like because because you get the pulse of the community, just being out there, hearing mm-hmm. people, you know, finding out what. And I kind of like, you know, people will say, "Oh, people don't want to help." I. A lot of people do want to help. Some people don't. So you just have to find that balance. But I just like being out there in the community and making a difference more than just, you know, because a lot of the ADA stuff is, like, not really black and white because there's a lot of gray areas. Mm -hmm. And what they told me in the training is, like, that first 10-second interaction you have with the bus driver is the most important. I learned that a few months ago because I was like, we were on some route that was like way out. I said, I better really speak up here and make it known that I don't want to be stranded somewhere. And I've never been stranded, but I understand some of the people have had some bad luck on the job. But, you know, when they're sending your way out in the boonies and stuff, mm-hmm. and that's when it's worse. It's like in the city, in Boston proper and center it's they're pretty good i mean they're not nobody's perfect but the further out you go generally not all the time 
it's worse as far as like the conductors, the stop announcements, the people helping, but you never know. You just never know what you're going to run into. Now, is this a, a pilot program of sorts, or is this a something? No, it has to be. I don't think I really am supposed to say the details, but it, it came out of a lawsuit. Okay. And, and so I was asking today, how, how long is this job going to last? And they said, it's not going to end anytime soon because there's still a lot of issues they have to work out. So mm. somebody sued the MBTA. It was a group, but like I said, I, I don't think I want right. to. No. I'm not allowed to say that. But. Understood. Mm. But as long as it keeps you employed, yeah, that's good. And it, it's it, it's more. I guess I did want to bring up that yeah. Um, they they will let a bus driver go, but they want to educate more than you know. If it's a chronic problem, of course they're going to say, "Well, we have to fire you." But they want to educate rather than be a punitive thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I guess there was one thing I was thinking of with the priority seating that I learned about is the bus driver can say request that someone give me priority seating, but they really can't enforce it because they could they could be someone with a hidden disability, so they'd have another lawsuit on their hands to say, well, you can't sit there. You're not disabled. Right, right. So, mm. so it's basically, uh, it is a law that, you know, the disabled people have to sit there, but, or, but they can't, the bus drivers can't say, oh, you can't sit there. You don't look disabled. I mean, I have a cane, so it's, you know, so obvious, right. but where would they have priority seating on a bus? Yeah, the front seats usually on the bus, and they do have them on the MBTA. The, the, the first ones at the door, which is really good, especially when it's crowded because it's you know if you miss your stop, and you know pe- people usually are helpful, and some of the bus drivers do go way above and beyond the call of duty. But it, it's yeah, it's really interesting. Just the yeah. little nuances of the ADA and how some people think, oh, it's all black and white and it's all, but it's really up to us to advocate for ourselves and to educate and be be civil about it. It's too bad you don't have anything to do with the ride because the ride has just changed companies. Yeah, well, actually, I was working with, I was working with a company last year. They, they were bidding for the, um, what they're doing now, but the company didn't get the contract, so I didn't get the, I would have been in, like a, Disability, I forgot the title they were going to, it was just basically like a, a go-between, you know, like a, I can't think of the word right now. A liaison? Yeah, there you go. See, I'm not supposed to be a writer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one thing that they've done is they've changed the um, the telephone system. Yeah, I heard that, yeah. And it used to be that when you called, uh, like, I set mine up so that my messages went to my cell phone voicemail. Yeah, and then I could listen to my cell phone voicemail. Well, for some reason now that doesn't work. The voicemail won't pick it up. Oh, and I tried it this afternoon. I answered the phone and I said hello, and then the message came on telling me that my ride was coming soon. So I think it has something to do, something to do with voice activation. Yeah, I don't know. Speaking of that, have you heard the cuts they want to make to the MBTA or um, the ride and the weekend commuter rail? I heard about the commuter rail today, yeah. But I heard they wanted to cut back on some of the ride. They wanted to do it within three quarters of a mile. Someone was reading me an article from the Boston Globe, so that's... It's something to keep an eye on. And I know there are a number of people that that we know that are, you know, involved in the activity there. But it is something to keep an eye on. Well, they're going to have their meeting on their... AACT accessibility access something on the March 22nd at the transportation center at 10 and 12 and 1 and 3. So that's probably would be a time for people to express their concerns. About it is cuts. It is because it's the only way you're going to uh, be able to either put a halt to it or slow the process. Yeah, down. it just amazes me that they, they can be losing money when the, all the trains I'm on are packed. And well, more it's, people are it's, riding now. It's it's something called the Big Dig. Oh, and it's still going on, huh? The legislature, in its infinite wisdom, if I may use the word, mm-hmm. decided to have the MBTA pay part of the Big Dig. Mm-hmm. And oh, okay. Well, they do the, use it a lot. <laughs> mm, the transportation 
uh, in a public sense, never is a is a money maker. No. But when you add something like the Big Dig program, uh, the yeah. project to it, then you know you you just make it that much more. Well, difficult. nobody wants to pay more either. I mean, if, when they had that fare increase, people were up in arms. Right. And I understand if you're working and stuff, you know, quarters doesn't sound like a lot, but it's going to add up. So it's like, how do you, please, you can't please everyone. That's no, right. That's right. Cutting it's not good. But I know when the ride fares went up, I said to a couple of people, have you called a cab lately? Do you know how much it costs? Yeah, that's what I always say. It's like, yeah. I mean, it's a really good deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a kind of a deal that you're not going to find anywhere else, um, and quite I th- frankly. And I think we have... Uh, one of the best uh, ride systems going. Yeah. I would agree. I think the transportation is pretty good and really good in the, in this you know mass area for the most part. Now, how is it down around where you you live? I'm, I'm um, somewhat it's not, familiar. They have their own transportation. At least they have the commuter rail run through. Mm-hmm. The transportation, it's not bad, but they're not as, they don't run as often. Um of course, it's not as big as, you know, it's not like Boston, but it, right. it's not as reliable. It's not as, you know, it's okay. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's, it, you know, when I compare it to the MBTA, it's like night and day. I think the thing about the com- commuter rail is that they want to do some um, track repairs. Yeah, I heard that too, On the yeah. weekends. I think that's part of the deal. Yeah. And I know they did that out in Western Mass. Mm-hmm. For, and it, it took quite a while. Oh, it's in like a year they want to do this. It's going to be about a year. So that's going to be kind of interesting as far as getting to stuff on weekends. So either go Friday night or, I don't know, we'll figure it out, I guess. I guess we will. Yeah. Well, uh, are there any, is it anything that we could uh, add to your your book primarily? Perhaps you might want to give out the Website again and the title of the book, so that sure it's um, the website is http uh, this www never mind that first part dot dvorkin d v o r k i n dot c o m forward slash s t e p h e n t h e b e r g e and the book is called the Metsi M E T S C H E message and if you've never read sci-fi before you might enjoy it a lot of people i know i mean my one of my cousins and my aunt they never read it and she called me all the way from uh tennessee and said i loved your book and she wouldn't have done that if she didn't like it or even mildly liked it so i think it's you know i i always read things that aren't in my genre too i like to read a variety i think if you're going to be a writer you should read a variety of different kinds of stuff. Even say, I might not like it. Yeah, and sometimes by reading something other than what you usually read, you learn things. That's exactly what I did before I wrote it. It's like, I want, I, you know, it could be straight sci-fi. That'd be great for some people, but I want to kind of more broaden it out. And... It, it's kind of like music. If you sometimes listen to some other kind of music, uh, yeah, you might like it. Yeah. Well, before we wrap this up, uh, Chris, do you have any other comments that you'd? Uh, nothing further to add. But I'm looking forward to reading your book, and it was great to chat with you today. I'm glad. Thanks for having me. Of course, well, we're glad to have had you on, and we're equally glad that uh, we had Chris. As it turned out, uh, a bit of bad luck for our usual engineer uh, turned out to be good luck because this. Uh, Chris probably knew more about your subject than either David or I. And certainly, uh, it sounds like a great book. I will certainly read it. Okay. And we'll be looking forward to seeing you next week. You up here. Oh, yes. Yep. So thanks again. Provided we don't have a blizzard. (laughs) Uh, I think the snow will be all done by that time. I hope so. Well, thanks a lot, Stephen. We uh, we really appreciate you coming on tonight. Uh, Thank you, and good night. All right, thanks. Bye. Well, it was a great show. And again, uh, thanks to Chris for his participation in it, because you added tremendous, tremendous amount. I didn't know you were sci-fi. 
Yeah, you know, I am a little bit, I have to say. Well, see, That's he, good. He's young, so he should be. Uh, well, I, <laughs> I appreciate you guys uh, letting me sit in here and uh, throw a couple questions at Steve's way tonight. Uh, so, thank you. Well, we thank you again. And for Dave, for Harry, and yours truly, Al Gasper, and Chris Corey, and, of course, I guess Stephen Thieberg, We'll say so long for now, and Wednesday, all things, well, we hope. If the weather is right, the alumni focus will be on with the sports girls and a surprise guest, and they'll be talking about March Madness. So we'll see you then. Now it's time for Alumni Radio on Radio Perkins.